in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Is he muted? Are you muted? You guys are going to have to help me out on this one. Because I'm blocked by Alan Walsh. Did he tweet out any pictures yesterday? Oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to tell you right now. We are doing live reporting while watching Charmed. Marc-Andre Fleury started the first five games of the Minnesota Wild series. And in game six, an elimination game, he was benched for Cam Talbot. And Cam Talbot did not do very well. And the Wild ended up losing that game. And I'm just wondering if there were any swords in the back of Marc-Andre Fleury with any names on it that weren't DeBoer. No, he had... Oh, uh, he's he got had, soft! He had uh, uh, Kings highlights, uh, Go Kings Go. Obviously, he's got some uh, clients there. Um, another, he's got Blues forward David Perron with two assists. So I didn't know he um, represented Perron. Um, no, nothing. I mean, that, nothing. that tracks. He's nothing. gone soft. He, he's gone. Alan Walsh has gone soft. He can't represent players anymore. If you're not going to tweet out a sword in the back of Marc-Andre Fleury when he gets benched in an elimination game, what good are you? What good is Alan Walsh? Unbelievable. He's How even, does he not tweet that out? He's even got uh, uh, clips from minor league playoffs. So he's oh obviously got, God. I would assume one of his clients is a guy named Lucas Parikh. Oh, he, 43 is, safe, he has gone so 43 soft. safe shutout. It's sad to see the end of somebody that could have been so great. Yeah, this is unbelievable. Nothing. The How? highlights from last night only Kings Oilers. How is there not a just inflammatory tweet lighting the Minnesota Wild organization for, on for fire? starting Cam Talbot? How is that not exist? Yeah. Unbelievable from Alan Walsh. I, I, he, he's gone soft. That's the only answer here. So in that series. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury started the first five games. His goal saved above average through five was negative 0.83. So he was <laughs> slightly worse than the average goalie would have been so far in that series. So they went back to Cam Talbot for game six. Cam Talbot sucked. Um, but granted, Cam Talbot hadn't played in like three yeah. weeks because they committed to Marc-Andre Fleury for some reason. Which, by the way, very strange scenario in Minnesota because Cam Talbot this year had a 9-11 save percentage was plus six in goal saved it. above average. That's good. He wasn't like a top 10 goalie this year, but he was a good goaltender. And they went and traded for Marc-Andre Fleury, who had worse numbers the entire season than Cam Talbot. And they gave up a second rounder for Mark. Like they gave up an actually a decent asset for Marc-Andre Fleury. I can't comprehend exactly why the Minnesota Wild thought they needed to trade for Marc-Andre Fleury. And after the way they lost, in, I think two, they got shut out in one game and then they scored one goal last night. Like, they maybe should have traded for a guy that helps them score goals because that would have been a lot more helpful than having a goalie sit on your bench that makes a bunch of money. So, Bill Guerin, and you know the story, he won the Stanley Cup together in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh, he's Pitts- Guerin was also a member of Pittsburgh's front office when they are in that organization. So, did he love him that much? Did he want his buddy that much? Did That's a dumb way to run a team. Well, I mean, yeah, you it's should not, be, it's you not should smart. be fired immediately. On it's this not way. smart. If you traded for a guy because, oh, seven years ago, this guy yeah. was my best friend. Garen oh, said, should be fired when he traded for him, we need, uh, I love, I love flower. He's a good friend and, a, and was a great teammate. He's still an elite goaltender. Even at the age he is, his experience is winning to help us with a character guy. 
he uh, was not elite, not even close to. <laughs> no, in fact, this the next year. sentence is the 37 year old is 19, 21, and five with a 908 <laughs> percentage, 2.9 goals against, and four shutouts. <laughs> Did, didn't he get benched in both of those? Like, did he get... He's, he he won one Stanley Cup as the goalie that started the entire postseason. Oh, the okay. other two, one of them, Matt Murray, was hurt, and he had to fill in, and he was really good in the Eastern Conference Finals. He was, the, he was one of the main reasons they made the Stanley Cup, and then they went back to Matt Murray, and Matt Murray won him the Cup. But, like... I, if you were like assigning how much credit does he deserve, you're probably giving him like one and a half Stanley Cups and fifty. Yeah, <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah, Hall right. of Famer. I, I mean, it's it's not bad. It's good, but like, yeah, he one of them he was not the it, guy. One uh, of them he was the guy, and one of them he wasn't supposed to be. But there was an injury, and he was really good when he the half the time he had to play. So heavy. Okay, so he's the Eli Manning. Of goalies, where it's Kinda. just like Michael yeah. Strahan yeah. is over there yeah. just wrecking Tom Brady, but sure, yeah, throw it at I, that guy's helmet. Probably, probably more regular season success than Mark Andre Fleury, right? Or than Eli Manning, I mean. But yeah, I mean that's a that's a relatively good comparison. Maybe if Eli Eli would have needed to play longer too. That's the thing. Like the best thing about Fleury is he's got the the Frank Gore s trait, where it's like <laughs> this guy's above average for two decades. Like that's that's what he's been. He's been an above average goalie for two decades, which is that's value. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But that's probably the biggest thing that Flurry's done is he's been a good goalie, not amazing, but he's been a good goalie for twenty damn years, which is hard to do. They just didn't bench bench him this time. You should have benched him this time, and you should have benched him after game one. Yeah, it should have happened right away. Then they they might have won the series. Next question. The Lightning beat the Leafs 4-3 in overtime to force a Game 7. These two have alternated wins and losses throughout the series, and now they play Game 7 in Toronto. Here's a question for you. Are the Maple Leafs a loss away from passing Vegas as most disappointing team in the NHL this season? Probably. I mean, they they just they can't get out of their own way in, in, in these elimination games, right? I do like the Austin Matthews quote, though. We just got to put our balls on the line and go for it. All right. Okay. Thanks for checking in on that. You play with a puck. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) So I think the interesting part about You're right about them being the most disappointing in Vegas, given their season and what they did in the season. But isn't this the Leafs in a nutshell? Right. I think for for the Maple Leafs, if they lose in the first round here, this is more about the culmination of half a decade, maybe longer. Let's see. If we go back here, here's here's the Maple Leafs postseason history. 2017, out in the first round. 2018, out in the first round. 2019, out in the first round. 2020, lost in that qualifying round. Remember, that was the weird bubble play. Oh, that's right, the bubbles. Last year, out in the first round. Yeah. If, and, and last year they won their division too. If, they go out in the first round again. You are talking about six straight years without winning anything in the postseason, not even a play, single playoff series. So even if the Golden Knights maybe are more disappointing this single season, this is just it's basically what the Maple Leafs have been forever. A good regular season team who does absolutely nothing in the postseason despite all of the potential in the world. Which just kills their fan base who are completely out of their minds. Did you see the shot of the fans watching outside in Toronto after the uh, Lightning won? In after an Lightning won in overtime, no. Oh, it was terrific. I mean, the amount like 
the the absolute anguish and sadness. Oh. One guy just took his jersey off. It was oh, a sure. incredible shot. <laughs> he took his jersey off. Yeah, it was just like oh, I'm done beautiful. with this. It's like there's a game seven, dude. You might, yeah, the you, team you might, might you still might win, and you get the game seven at home. Yeah, they should win. Next question. The Carolina Panthers are eyeing Sean Payton, according to Front Office Sports. They'd be willing to wait out this season and hire Sean Payton to coach the team for 2023 and beyond. Apparently, Sean Payton, uh, the expectation is he's going to end up working in television this year and could come back to coach after that. Would Sean Payton want to coach the Carolina Panthers? I think Sean Payton, after a year, is going to want to coach someone. You get out, you kind of recharge. Uh, then, I mean, maybe maybe he gets in the booth and says, you know what, this isn't that bad. I don't have to, you know, be up uh, 18 hours every day and, and do what coaches do and, you know, just go in. A lot of people, uh, Mariucci learned that. Um, other coaches learned that, that it wasn't that bad of a deal. You know, Gruden came back, but for a long time he was in the booth and made a lot of money. If Sean Payton has any fire, though, um, maybe the Panthers wouldn't be his only offer. I mean, I think if he was yeah. on the open market, I think a lot of people would want him besides the Panthers. If he can renegotiate for Tom Brady's deal, he'll never coach again. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> if he can renegotiate for half of Tom Brady's deal, he'll yeah. never coach again. I, I just, I get the feeling that, and this is based on nothing I've read whatsoever, but Sean Payton is the guy that... Kind of like John Gruden, who's like, kind of just want to hang out at Hooters. <laughs> like, I could see that. coaching's hard. It's stressful. I could see that. I'm getting TV's paid not. to, like, watch the Football game I already just... know a bunch of stuff about, yeah. and, and then I go it. to Twin Peaks. <laughs> Man, you know, that's a great question. Who's the second best quarterback on the Raiders roster? Oh. Um... Is he playing against the Raiders or someone else? That's a good question. He's playing so they released this Nick Mullins. Gil Garrett Gilbert got the uh, axe yesterday. Yeah, oh, they released Garrett guy. Gilbert. Uh, so they're two back. The competition for backup quarterback is Nick Mullins and then Jarrett Stidham, who they traded for yesterday. I'm I, listen. They they gave up a sixth rounder and still got a seventh rounder back. So they didn't even lose an asset. They just sort of downgraded a little bit. It's not that big of a deal. But was this necessary? Like, did they did they really sit down and say, we need Jared Stidham? So Ed came up with a great idea yesterday. It may have been Adam Candy, but Ed and Adam Candy came up with a great idea that you keep the Marcus Mariota package yeah. in there, and whichever backup happens to be playing that day has to run the Marcus Mariota read oh, option. I want to see that. I want to see Jared Stidham run the, run the read option. You know, they... They can't get away from New England, these guys. They can't get away from the Patriots. <laughs> and, I mean, and they didn't even go with Brian Hoyer, who's I mean, the most New England of them all. I mean, did, it's just did it's they, amazing. Oh, so did they just, like, on Wednesday, they were like, you know what? We haven't added anybody from New England this week. We better go find somebody. Hey, Bill, you want to trade us Jarrett Stidham? Yeah, those voluntary workouts. They said, uh, this Gilbert guy's not working out. Did you see how he threw the ball? <laughs> and, Listen again. It's they didn't they didn't actually give anything up, right? They moved no, from the sixth no. and seventh round. It's I mean, not it's fine. really a big it's deal. Fine. It's just it's funny. funny from where he's from, right? And and also because like the Patriots went out and drafted Jared Stidham's replacement. Like the Patriots went and got Bailey Zappi specifically to replace Jared Stidham, and then were able to trade him away and actually got something <laughs> for him. I just, it's it's just a very 
funny situation, especially like if if it was any other team, it probably wouldn't be that funny. But because no, if he came from like Tennessee, so, you'd be like, right. okay, they think they need a better backup than Nick Mullins. But because they've added so many Patriots, you're like, all right, what what the is the scouting going on department, the front office, the team? It's like when, now if they go Jones, ahead and win twelve games, everybody like saying, hey, good job. Derek Carr's got to be looking over his shoulder, and he's like, is Mac Jones' rookie contract up? Because whenever it is, they're signing him and kicking me to the curb. Is anyone else just thinking, like, Bill Belichick? Because he's technically the GM. It's just like, who who, who am I? Who do I have to pay? Get Josh. Get Josh on the yeah. phone. Get get get, some, get the Raiders on the phone. I, I, I got a guy that I can send him. They can't, they can't help themselves. They'll take him. All right. Coming oh. up next. We'll jump into the NBA because Doc Rivers thinks he does a great job. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Surgical. Surgical. The 76ers got eliminated last night in game six by the Miami Heat. Doc Rivers afterwards said, I don't worry about my job. I think I do a terrific job. (laughs) I worked my butt off to get this team here. When I first got here, no one picked us to be anywhere. Just for clarity's sake, the 76ers had been to the postseason for three straight years before Doc Rivers became the head coach. They had advanced to the second round in two of those three years. Doc Rivers has yet to take the 76ers past the second round since he has been the head coach. So I'm not quite sure why he's being like, oh. I took over a mess, and look how far I got them. He got them exactly hey. as far as they were before he got there. Hey, but he dealt with that Ben Simmons situation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Doc's a great coach. Is so that, that was, is that a hot take? Is that a hot take? I don't think Doc's he, a great coach. So 23 years as a head coach, he's got a good winning percentage. He's coached some good teams. Won a title with the Celtics, has one other appearance in the NBA Finals. I think that Celtics team could literally could have won without a coach. He has not been to the NBA Finals, though, since 2010. And he's coached some teams that. I was going to say, he's coached some teams that might have had the chance because it's still right. hard I, to get to the NBA Finals. I don't know that he's ever been the coach of like the favorites right at the right. start of a season or anything like that but he's coached some some good enough teams that you think hey maybe it'd happen if he was a coach that makes a difference i think at the end of the day doc rivers is not an nba coach that makes a real difference i think doc rivers is an nba coach that's going to take a team exactly as far as they are expected right. i think i think they won 51 games this year their season uh over under to start the year was 50 and a half right nailed that they came into the year, I think they had the seventh best odds to win the title. They got knocked out as one of the last eight teams playing in the postseason. They were the four seed in the East. They took the number one seed to six games. Like, it's not like a catastrophic failure, but it's not over-exceeding. I think Doc Rivers is just a coach that's going to coach a team exactly as far as they're expected to go, and that's it. He's not going to make you any worse or any better than you actually should be. Yeah. No, it's a good point. I mean... I just, he's always come off to me as that quote. I think he's always, when he was with the Clippers and everything else, he always comes off as that quote that he thinks he's, or maybe that's just what he feels he needs to do. Um, maybe he is worried about his job there and has to get out in front of it uh, with his own with his own quotes. But I just have never looked at him and said, boy, he's one of the best coaches in the league. I even yeah. And he had a really good Celtics team, by the way. Jared's right. 
So outside of Doc Rivers, <laughs> James Harden did not score in the second half of this game. He had 11 total. He did not take a shot in the fourth quarter. Uh, pulled a Ben Simmons and did not even attempt a shot in the fourth quarter of their elimination game. What do we what do we do with James Harden going did, forward here? Are we see, completely done with him being a difference maker? Do you see Embiid's quote on him? Uh, no, I saw his did, quote about needing more tough guys. He said, since we got him, everyone expected the Houston James Harden. That's not who he is. He's a playmaker. I thought at times he could have been, as we all could have been, more aggressive. I'm not talking offensively. I'm talking about, you know, his whole offensively and defensively. We weren't good enough defensively. They took advantage of a lot of what we did. Um, that's kind of straightforward about what he thinks about James Harden, where he says he's just not Houston anymore. And, I mean, I don't think he's making a hot take there. We watched the entire series. You said before the series he needed to be the best player. Uh, he disappeared. Never yeah. mind not being the best I player. Had one game in, in a six-game 25 series points, he, one game. Where he looked good, and it wasn't right. even complete domination. So if you're, if you're the 76ers right now, what do you do? Because you have a, a MVP-level player in Joel Embiid, but you haven't made it past the second round with him. And I don't know how much of that deservedly falls on Joel Embiid's shoulders versus... They've put Ben Simmons and an old James Harden around him. I don't know what you do if you're the Sixers to take what you have in Joel Embiid and actually win a title. Get him Kyrie. Well, get him a third. Get him a third, uh, whether it's, he's better than Maxie or not. But I don't think as what we saw, are we expecting James Harden to come back next year and suddenly be James Harden again? So if that's, I, yeah, if that's yeah, the case, he's, they need a third guy. And, they, yeah, I mean, they need somebody better than James Harden. Yeah, they need someone if better than James yeah. Harden to go with Maxine and Bede. And I, I think what we're – I think what we might look at here, based on, A, how much the 76ers have failed in the postseason so far, how they haven't gotten anywhere, but, B, the fact that Giannis exists, B. are the Sixers going to win a title with Joel Embiid? Uh, not, not in the foreseeable future. Like, if it's just it, him. Right. It very much feels like – Giannis is going to block Joel Embiid and the 76ers from ever doing anything, even if they put together a good team, even if they find the right answer to, hey, somebody's got to be better than James Harden this offseason. I, I I think they're going to be blocked. I think we're talking like Giannis might Michael Jordan the East, might right. LeBron James the East for a while here, where he's just so good that other good teams, good players in the East, just, eh, you don't really have a shot for half a decade, for a decade, because you're not getting past that guy in that team. You think the uh, Sixers uh, regret not holding on to Jimmy Butler? So did you see Jimmy Butler afterwards yelling, uh, basically, you chose Tobias Harris yes. over me? Yes. So it's it's fascinating because you had an entire situation where Ben Simmons didn't want to play with Jimmy Butler. Your own Weitzman was tweeting this morning a couple of things about this. Ben Simmons apparently never actually said that. The 76ers just assumed that. They just assumed you it. also had you also had Jimmy Butler not getting along with the coach Ben Brown at the time. And the Sixers, according to your own Weitzman, they kind of assumed, well, if we keep one of them, or if we keep both of them, we're gonna have to fire the coach eventually. And so they they got rid of of Jimmy Butler. And now you look back and whether you want to say Tobias Harris, whether you want to say Ben Simmons, whether you want to say James Harden, and you can throw Al Horford in there as well. Cause he had a massive contract right. from the 76 at the time. Jimmy Butler 
is a more significant player than any of the guys that the Sixers have kept in that time frame. And But here's the one thing about it. I don't know that Jimmy Butler staying on the Sixers makes any significant difference to them winning a title. I don't think Jimmy Butler. I mean, if he was guy. on, if he was on the Sixers this year, you don't think that they would have beat Miami? Playing Miami, Miami wouldn't be the one seed. If Jimmy okay, Butler's if, if Jimmy there, Butler right. had been on the Sixers, you didn't, if, you don't see but them. Like, if Butler was on the Sixers, I don't believe they're better than Boston or Milwaukee. Okay, that's that's your point. Okay, and and so they. And, who knows what the seeding would have been if Miami didn't have Jimmy Butler. But, like, those would have been your top three seeds, Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston, whatever order they would have right. been in. Maybe Philly gets the one seed and they get an easier uh, Path. matchup in the second round, but I don't think they're better than the team Boston or Milwaukee have put together. And with Jimmy Butler, I don't think that changes because Jimmy Butler, while he, he's good and he's better than what Harden is now, he's better than what Simmons has ever been, I don't think he's a big enough difference maker that you're beating Giannis and the Bucks or okay. what this Celtics team does because of Jimmy Butler. So what you're saying is that Jimmy Butler had to go to Miami and play with the Hall of Fame coach. Well, who's who's oh, only he, who's only in the second or was only in the Eastern Conference Finals because he got to play Doc. I coach my butt off Rivers. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly it's like got a Hall of Fame coach versus a guy who <laughs> I coach my butt off. Doc's Which, title doesn't get him in automatically, right? By the way, you guys put Eric Spolster in the Hall of Fame because he won two titles with LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. Meanwhile, you started this segment off saying, well, the Celtics teams could have won the title by themselves without a coach. Like, come on, let's um, have some consistency, guys. Uh, do you not remember that uh, LeBron wouldn't post up J.J. Barea? The Celtics that took failed. Eric Spolstra. The Celtics failed. They didn't. They they had like three years where they could have won it, and it took. It only happened once. Uh, you guys, I'm be, putting stop him being in. Hypocrites. Stop I'm being putting hypocrites. him in he taught, because he taught LeBron like, how to play in the post. It's like three thousand hits and otherwise. He's going in because he won two titles. He's like an automatic. It you can. I mean, I guess you can argue one way or the other if you think he's Hall of Famer. But I just put him in because he's won two titles, and that's now automatic. You, now he's you're in. walking it back. No, no, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Now he's a Hall of Fame coach. Oh, he's hey. a Hall of Fame no. coach. The argument he won two was titles. never about whether he's going to Hall of Fame. The argument, I listen. I what believe he's a Hall of Fame coach. I missed a show. I don't know what I did. I missed a show, <laughs> and I came back. <laughs> and Eric Spolster was in the Hall of Fame. And you guys were like, "Yeah, we put Spolster in the Hall <laughs> yes, of Fame. Yes, he's we this did. Great coach. Yes, and he I was is. Just like, oh, yes." What happened while I was gone? That Eric Spolstra is <laughs> yes. all of a sudden the greatest coach in the history. No, of the not state. the greatest coach. Just the Hall of Famer. Look at LeBron's efficiency before Eric Spolstra and then after Eric Spolstra. He became like a seventeen of twenty-five guy after going to the who, Miami Heat. Who was before Van Gundy? Oh no, no I was saying you, well who, that for the Heat. Yeah, I believe it was Van Gundy. That's but, what I think. That's what but, I thought. No, I meant when he was in Cleveland, he was his his efficiency was terrible. And then he went to the Heat, and they were like, "Hey, you're gonna stop taking all these shots. We're going Jared, to." He went from playing with Booby Gibson <laughs> and Zadrunas Ilgauskas to Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade, and wouldn't post up JJ Barea. Guess who his coach was when he wouldn't do that? <laughs> it he, was Eric Spolstra. And, but then he they you're figured giving, out how you're to use it. Spolstra credit for LeBron's biggest <laughs> failure of his career. No. He was the coach. But then Eric adapted as all Hall of Fame yeah. coaches oh do. Oh my he God! Adapted. Eric, Eric Spolstra <laughs> invented. 
positionless basketball. Yes, yes. All right. Doug Key joins the show next. <laughs> Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Doug Kide. Good morning, Doug. Hey, Doug. Um, I got an important and sort of a general question you that you can go any direction you want with this. Josh McDaniels, second time as a head coach in Las Vegas. You think it'll be successful or unsuccessful because why? I think it will be successful, and I think that the main reason is that I think he, he has grown up over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, and it's kind of amazing where, you know, you watch some of the clips of him as the Broncos head coach. He's You know, after the Patriots game, he was pumping his fist, and he was just, I think that he was young and a little bit immature at the time, and then I covered the Patriots from uh, 2013 to 2020, and you just, it's it's hard to reconcile that that's the same person, you know, that, that I talked to all those years uh, that was the guy who was covering the Broncos, and and acting like that. I think that he has grown up quite a bit. I think that he's got a good partnership with Dave Ziegler. And another big part of it is that I think that they've put together a really good staff in Las Vegas, especially on the defensive side of the ball with Patrick Graham, who was a head coaching candidate as a defensive coordinator. Um, I think that they've made a lot of smart moves since McDaniels and Ziegler were hired. Yeah, and it seems like they're Patriots way west. I'm not saying that's bad because the Patriots have won so much, but is that the smart way for them to go? They've hired so many people from the Patriots. We saw the Stidham trade yesterday. They kind of like they're being in that realm together as friends. Is that the best way, at least, to start out? Well, I think that I think it's smart to bring in players and coaches and executives that you're familiar with. Obviously, everyone does that. Um, you even saw, you know, Bill Belichick do that in 2000 when he took over. The Patriots, he was signing guys like Roman Pfeiffer and all these, you know, defensive players that he coached before that he was familiar with. Um, and obviously it wound up working out. The key is for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler, for that matter, to not turn themselves into Bill Belichick clones because that just has not worked anywhere uh, throughout time. It didn't work for Matt Patricia. I think that Josh McDaniels probably tried to bring some of that to Denver. That didn't work for him. Didn't work out for Eric Mangini. So they have to stay true to themselves. And I think that that is difficult coming from that New England system where everything is so structured that, you know, there's executives <laughs> that, that come out of New England that sound like Bill Belichick, that, that speak <laughs> like Bill Belichick. And it's, it's this weird thing that happens in New England, and I don't think that that's Dave Ziegler. I think that one of the key things with Dave Ziegler is that he didn't actually come up through New England. He was hired as you know a more experienced executive uh, to New England. Obviously, he spent quite a long time there. Different for Josh McDaniels. He was groomed in the New England system. Obviously, he spent some time away, but I do think that that time away was valuable, but they, they cannot become those, you know, Bill Belichick clone robots and try to do what Bill Belichick does because it's clear and obvious that that has not worked elsewhere. Trading a first and second round pick and paying Devontae Adams, that seems far away from what Bill Belichick would do? I completely agree, and I think that, that was really interesting that that was really, obviously they had made other moves at that point, but that was the biggest splash move that they possibly could have made uh, after coming to Las Vegas. And I think that that was kind of key. It was 
I think that was a sign that, okay, this isn't the Patriot way. Yes, we have a million employees who used to work for the Patriots. We're going to sign a bunch of guys who used to play for the Patriots. But we are our own entity. We're going to do things our own way. And I agree. I don't think that that's something that Bill Belichick would have done. And even some of the big moves that he's made, like you know, trading for Randy Moss all those years ago, trade a fourth-round pick. And he waited a year to give Randy Moss that contract extension. So uh, definitely, I would say that that is not falling uh, within the lines of the Patriot way. And I actually liked seeing that, that they did do something uh, kind of outside the book when, once they got to Las Vegas. Was bringing Jared Stidham in a Patriot way? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I, I think that, you know, Getting a quarterback who has experience in your system, even if it's a guy that hasn't played a whole lot, hasn't had a whole lot of success in the NFL, now bring him in in a 6-7 swap, whatever it was, to, to get him to Las Vegas, I think it makes sense. And I think that you'll probably see Jared Sidham and Nick Mullins compete for that backup role. Not quite sure who winds up getting out. Obviously, Nick Mullins has quite a bit more NFL experience, whereas Jared Sidham has a lot more experience within Josh McDaniel's system. Uh, but I do think it's it's good to have a guy in the room who knows the system, especially at quarterback, because they've got that elsewhere around the roster with you know Brandon Bolden, Deron Harmon, all of these guys. I think it was key to at least get that quarterback who knows it as well. Do you have any idea how much credit uh, Dave Ziegler should get for what happened in New England the last year or so? Because, hey, they spent a bunch in free agency. They made the playoffs last year after not making it the year before. But here in Vegas, it's kind of like, okay, did Dave Ziegler have a big hand in that? Or was this Bill Belichick calling most of the shots? I mean, I think that Bill Belichick still gets final say. But, you know, the in 2001 – that was the only year that Dave Ziegler was the Patriots director of player personnel. It was, it was Nick Casari before that. Uh, Dave Ziegler was the Patriots director of pro personnel. Uh, but, you know, he had a lot more say, or really basically for the first time, I think, in his Patriots tenure, say in the draft, because he was on the, he was on the pro scouting side uh, up until 2021. And they did have a really good draft last year, at least, you know, from early uh, returns, getting Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, uh, Ramondre Stevenson was a good pick in the fourth round. Uh, and they took a different approach to free agency, which I think was more due to the fact that the Patriots had a lot of cap space. They had a lot of needs on, on their roster, uh, but they were able to find some, some good players in free agency last year as well. Uh, Kendrick Bourne was really, honestly, probably one of the best free agent signings uh, in all of football last season because they got a guy who was a you know 800 yard re- receiver for like four or five million dollars that's just extremely hard to find in free agency so i personally give dave ziegler a lot of credit for that it seems like the patriots kind of um were willing to you know take take a slightly different approach to last year in the draft and free agency and this year it's gone a little bit back to the norm so maybe that's just by coincidence but like I said, Dave Ziegler, that was his only year as director of player personnel in New England, uh, and I think it was a good offseason for them. A uh, couple things about other teams. What What is going on, and, and why do you think the, it's been a stay away on Baker Mayfield? I think that teams just know that the Browns are going to have to do something with Baker Mayfield eventually. Like They can't – I mean, I guess they could say that they could go into the season with Baker Mayfield as their – third quarterback or whatever, or they could say that they're willing to go into the preseason uh, with Baker Mayfield on their roster, but 
you know, they obviously they, they traded for Deshaun Watson. They made that decision. They made the decision to go after Deshaun Watson, and they made the decision to sign Jacoby Brissett to be his backup. So they were basically screaming to the rest of the NFL that we're going to trade Baker Mayfield, and the rest of the NFL is saying, well, yeah, good luck doing that, but eventually you're going to need to release this guy, and if you can't give him to us for cheap enough, then you're going to have to take on that $16 million dead cap hit. So I do think he gets moved eventually. Um, I think the Browns will probably have to eat a a good amount of that salary uh, just because there are other alternatives is to eat all of it and release him. But, you know, I'm still looking at the Carolina Panthers. I think they're a team that makes a lot of sense. Uh, And, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, Houston Texans, they might not be quite as logical of fits. But if I had to guess today, I'd probably say he winds up with the Panthers. If you like, let's take Carolina for example. What would you rather do? Give Baker Mayfield the one last year on his rookie deal, and then hey, if he's good, pay him, or give the guy you drafted a Matt Corral a shot to see if he's going to be any good and ultimately cheap and good for three more seasons. I think the approach that well, that's it's interesting. I think that the the smartest thing the Panthers could do, and I'm not sure if this could even you know work out because it would have to take. Panthers and the Browns agreeing to it. But the Panthers have, have Sam Darnold just sitting on the roster. They can't cut him without taking out $16 million, $16 million of dead cap. The Browns have Baker Mayfield on their roster in the same situation. So if one of those teams or both of those teams are going to have to cut those players, just trade them one for one, have the Browns <laughs> take on, you know, like a fourth or fifth round pick or something from the Panthers because the Panthers would be getting the better quarterback in Baker Mayfield. And then, force the Browns to cut Sam Darnold since they're going to have to take on that, that dead cap. Anyway, I know I'm kind of getting into the weeds here, but if there was some sort of like one for one swap, they could make where the Panthers also give them a fourth or fifth round pick. And then, you know, then the, the Browns are the ones who have to cut Sam Darnold. That makes the most sense to me because you get Baker Mayfield on the last year of his contract. You give him, you know, 17 games or whatever it is to see what he can be, you know, on a different team, not injured, not with all the shoulder injuries. If he looks good, then you extend him. And if he doesn't, then he's in the final year of his contract. So you can just walk away with him, from him, you know, wipe your hands of the situation, and then, you know, see if, what you have in Matt Corral or, or draft a quarterback or go back to the veteran market. I don't know. It just makes sense to me that since Mayfield is on the last year of his deal, it's easy to walk away if he's not good and it's easy to, to extend him if he is good. Uh, it just seems like a situation that makes sense to me. So, give us one last thing. Do you care about schedule day or not? Oh, I do not care about schedule day whatsoever. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I can't tell you how happy I am that the schedule is out so I don't have to see tweets telling me that the schedule was going to come out on May 12th at 8 p.m., um, we knew who the teams were playing. We, I guess we just had to find out when they were playing them. But, like, I, this is the one know. thing that the NFL pushes that I don't care about. I don't understand why it's a big deal. And, and I'm personally just very glad that it's over. Well, he's Doug Kide from Pro Football Focus. Doug, we appreciate you. Thanks, time Doug. This appreciate it. Absolutely. Anytime. So, uh, yes, anti-schedule is the right way to go because we shouldn't care that much about the schedule. We just shouldn't. It's, we, so you didn't watch NFL Network and then switch over to ESPN for the updates? Uh, no, I no. actually didn't know what time it was being announced, and I didn't check Twitter for like 30 minutes at one point yesterday, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, 
the Chargers tweeted out this fun video. Oh, of how fun was that? And then I had to go back and Urban Meyer. figure out when the Raiders was. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Urban Meyer sitting on, a, sitting on a stool. Sitting on a stool. A Jaguar. Sitting on a stool. Ah, ah, the Chargers. <laughs> okay. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into Game 7 coming up between the Suns and the Mavericks. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Last night, the Mavericks forced a game seven with a beatdown of the Phoenix Suns, 113 to 86. The home team has won every game in this series. Jared, what does that mean? Game hasn't started yet. Like the series <laughs> hasn't started yet. Series hasn't started yet. Yes, that is correct. And it might not. One ever time start you actually Phoenix go to be today. Yeah. Um, so you did well. <laughs> Here's a. What are we supposed to do with Chris Paul well, so far in this series? I was watching that last night, and the first thing I thought is, I'm gonna ask Tyler. I don't. I don't know what's happened. What, what has happened to Chris Paul? Have they taken him out of what he wants to do? Has there, he become passive? Is he just not playing well? Is his age catching up with him? His, I, I don't know. I will say that the back of his head looked extra shiny last night, so maybe he's, you know, alopecia. So if you go back to, what was it, game two, when he took over the yeah, fourth quarter of that game, and it was effectively, we're going ball screen, ball screen, ball screen, and Chris Paul is just, he's going to find an opening, and he's going to knock down the shot or find someone else that's open yeah. and is going to knock down the shot. And it was a level of, okay, uh, do that every time. They had the, they, they attacked Luka Doncic, right? And I'll be honest, I'm not paying enough attention to what the Dallas Mavericks defensive adjustments are. But Chris Paul has gone from, hey, we can give this guy a ball screen and he's, he's going to torch Dallas to being completely deferential. I mean, he... He was playing off the ball more than he was on the ball last night, right? Like, this wasn't right, a, hey, right. we're giving Chris Paul the ball and letting him go to work. This was, hey, no. uh, Devin Booker's got the Devin ball. Devin Booker's got the ball. Exactly. Then Chris Paul. I, and I, 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 don't know what, I don't know what's going on with him, man, but he better play better on in, in Game 7. Right. And, like, we've seen it. There's the chance that Chris Paul completely dominates the fourth quarter mm -hmm. over the weekend and they win game seven because of it and they're in the western conference finals 100 the chance of that but it's just like his scoring totals in these games 19 in game one 28 in game two then 12 5 7 and 13 last night he has scored 25 points total in the last three games and he had 28 in game two it's it's unreal and i and i'm not sure because the other part is Dallas wasn't a great defensive team in the regular. We're not talking about Boston or taking Milwaukee. Chris Paul out. Of, like Dallas has Luka Doncic. They spread the floor and let him go to work. So their offense is at times pretty good. But Luka sucks on defense. And the Mavericks aren't very good as a team. And I can't quite figure out why Chris Paul and the Suns. Like, and here's the other thing. Devin Booker's had a couple of good games in here even when Paul's been useless. So it's not like they've taken Devin Booker completely out of games. It's just Chris Paul has had multiple moments where he's not any good. And I don't know what that means because I don't feel like I should be giving Dallas credit, but maybe I'm just undermining what the ba Dallas Mavericks actually are. Is there a reason they had 27 turnovers if they played him off the ball? You can't That's do the that. Other they part. can't do that again. They can't have 27 turnovers. They're not going to yeah. have 27 tur turnovers at home. I'm oh I, man. I mean, if, that's not yeah. gonna happen. That's not that happening. 
27 is a fluke, right? That, right. That's, that that's not happening again. The question, though, is what if they have 18 or 19, right? Like, well, there, there's a chance they could still have a high number of turnovers. And if it's 18 or 19, do they still they, they lose game seven, I think? Yeah. If they so, have near 20 turnovers? Yeah. So, I, again, I don't know what to do with this because I believe the Suns are better. Everything about this tells me the Suns are better, except what's happened to Chris Paul and the Suns' offense. The other part, though, by the way, what might be of anything you could talk about in this series? The Mavericks hit 41% of their threes in game six. They hit 16 of them. That that might be it. That The game might be simply decided by, do the Mavericks hit 41% of their threes in game seven? And if they do, they're pulling off the upset and going to the Western yeah. Conference Finals. If they don't, the Suns are going and might be favored to win and go to the NBA Finals. But hitting threes might be all that matters, what Dallas does from beyond the arc. I mean, if they hit 41% again and the, and the Suns have 19 <laughs> or 20 turnovers, we know who's going to the Western Conference right. Finals. Right. It's pretty much over, which I think that's what I'm cheering for. I think I want to see Luka in the Western Conference Finals. I think that would be more fun, even though they might get swept. That might suck. Maybe not. Yeah, let's go Luka.